So just before we start, I wanted to remind you, if you've not already done so, to please subscribe, rate and comment on whichever app you're using. It really helps to get the podcast listened to by more people. Hi, Dad. Hi, Celine. Did you know that you and I are about the same age if you count time living in the world? What do you mean? Well, as you know, I left a high-control religious group around the time you were born. So you're in your 20s then? (laughs) Well, maybe in my head. The thing is, though, because I had all of my beliefs about morals, science, politics, religion, philosophy provided for me, I spent the last 25 years trying to work out what I should think about a whole bunch of stuff and work out what's going on. No one knows what's going on, Dad. (laughs) Well, I think it's about time we did. What Should I Think About is a podcast that sets off on a lofty goal to make sense of the complicated, contradictory, confusing but wonderful thing we call the world. Hello and welcome to the What Should I Think About podcast. I'm Celine. And I'm Stephen. And I'm Rob (laughs) Cronk. Hi Rob. So as you've noticed, we've got a very special guest today. We've got Rob Crompton. Uh, Rob is an author. He's a novelist. He's a retired Methodist minister um, and a former Jehovah's Witness. Um, so he's got a lot of stuff to tell us. Um, I've also uh, just recently read Rob's book called uh, Pathways to Freedom from the Watchtower to a New Life. Um, so we're going to talk uh, to Rob about all those things. So really looking forward to talking to you, Rob. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so I guess just keeping it broad straight away, um, would you like to just tell us a little bit about your upbringing? Yes, certainly. I I came into the Watchtower movement as a youngster um, when my uh, parents, um, mainly my mother, of course, uh, became interested in the Jehovah's Witnesses. And from the age of about eight or so, I was brought up in it. Um, myself, my older sister, um, my younger sister wasn't on the scene at that time. Um, we, um, we had a weekly home Bible study um, and in due course became completely involved in it. And I was baptised um, at the age of 11 and I became really interested in it I, I was I was keen uh, I, I really was um, being a witness youngster for me was not the awful experience that um, it, it has been for so many um, I lapped it up but the thing was, really, it had, um, I suppose, awakened some of my um, fascination with learning. But of course, you can only take that so far within mm-hmm. the Watchtower movement. And I, um, I, I was really keen on um, on studying all the literature about um, about the Bible, its content, its origins, and so forth. I became immersed in that. And then, of course, you reach the ceiling um, and you don't explore beyond 
the Watchtower. Um, and so it was, um, it was not until many years later that I began to, um, to, to read more widely. Mm. But I, um, I became, well, as I say, very keen. I was appointed uh, book study conductor at the age of 17. I became a regular pioneer um, and then appointed special pioneer. And my partner and I were uh, appointed to um, a congregation in Clyde Bank in Glasgow. And well, I began to meet some very interesting people up there. I got some, um, I sometimes say, seduced <laughs> by the library. <laughs> that was a truly wonderful place, Clyde Bank Public Library. And I, um, I'd knock on a door to start counting time and then <laughs> hop into the library and uh, browse around for a little while. And <laughs> I read quite a lot on psychology and uh, quite a few novels at that time. And um, that's when I began to question it. Yeah. And I remember one, uh, one guy, a member of the congregation, who was very much on the fringe of it. I had been to their place for a, uh, uh, for a meal one evening and he offered me a lift home at the end of the evening. But I, I declined his lift because it was a beautiful, clear night with a full moon. And I loved walking in moonlight. And I said, no, thanks, I'll walk. I want to think. And um, Sam, that's who he was, he, um, he, I'm sure he said it with a grin and a twinkle. He said, be very careful of that. <laughs> Thank you lead you astray yeah it's not great for thinking in the uh, organization it's not really what they they want you to do <laughs> indeed how many hours but, were you having to get in and as a special pioneer rob uh 150 uh, a month 150 a month as a special pioneer it's a lot yes <laughs> keeping fit yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder you were starting your time by knocking on a door and then going to the library. Mm. Oh well, yeah, yes. We, uh, my partner and I, we uh, we rapidly uh, devised ways of um, clocking up the hours. Mm. Um, just near to the flat that we shared, um, we early in our time there, we we'd done some door to door work there. And we got one or two not homes. And um, two or three of them in particular, they were not at homes because they'd gone to work. Yeah, so they were like home. guaranteed starters, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Knock on a door where nobody would be. <laughs> and then walk yeah. half an hour to your territory, knock on a few doors, go to the cafe for your mid-morning break. <laughs> yeah. It's true. I mean, I was a pioneer. I didn't special pioneer. And in my day, it was 90 hours a month. Um, but uh -huh. we had all the um, all the tricks as well, yeah. You allude to that in your book. You're kind of very, um, yeah, it's very evocative. You talk about some of those. 
yeah, walking slowly and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, it was all all part of the the pioneer walk they used to call it. Yes, it's it's fascinating that is because yeah. um, wherever you go, um, just look see a group of people in that distinctive um, dress, mm. not exactly a uniform, but you could tell it. The very long skirts, the uh, the grey suits, mm. small boys in grey suits, and walking at that pace, <laughs> snail's pace. But what does that tell you about about the inner thinking? Because that, for me, if I really believed, if I had really believed that I was on a life saving work, absolutely, well, you'd rush around, wouldn't you? Indeed, indeed you would. Yes, here we are, they imagine. We're bringing the world the most mm. urgent message it needs. Yeah. And they saunter along wasting time <laughs> yes. and uh, pretend to ring a doorbell and scarper before anyone notices <laughs> the sun at the door. I mean, did you, do you, do you remember a point at which you started, I guess using the, your, those techniques was there a time that you were like yeah you were being um you started doing more of that did you notice that in yourself as pioneers mm. we did it mm. certainly because um the, the, there was considerable pressure to get the hours in um if you didn't reach your quota of 150 hours for the month you couldn't claim your monthly allowance ah. um, to claim your allowance you um, well you fill in your monthly report and um, then there was a part at the bottom of the uh, slip which requests the uh, the allowance and uh, mm. you had to have your time in for that yeah because special pioneers you, you you weren't expected to um to do any sort of part-time work was that right so you, you had to basically That's live on the allowance yes which wasn't much yeah. no at that time it was 10 pounds a month mm. but the rent we paid for our flat a single room flat in an old tenement in uh, Clyde Bank uh, that I remember distinctly what the rent was it was seven pounds and sixpence a quarter. Wow. Mm. So that's what prices were like yeah. then. Yeah, I suppose um, uh, just before we, I'm sure Dad's got some questions that delve some into some of those things uh, that you've said about. Yeah. But before we uh, go there, I was just thinking as well about um, you were saying it was more your mother with the going into the witnesses with your. Yeah. Um, was your father not in it at all or was he 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 was um at that stage when we were very young my sister and i he was not it, he had been before we were old enough to know what was going on but he, he he drifted away lost interest he disapproved of the guy who came to give us our bible study and mother would tell us we were not tell dad that um, uncle Bob mm. uh, would call then um, later um, 
he he was brought into it after <laughs> Uncle Bob mm. moved to a different congregation. Mm -hmm. New guy came in as congregation overseer and called on us um, one evening and um, my dad responded quite warmly to him. Mm. He was a nice guy, he decent fellow. And, uh, and my dad came along. Um, he got to the point where he was giving talks on the um, ministry school and the service meeting. But then he, um, he quit and um, faded is the um, the word in use now that was my dad and um, one of the big factors for him in that was conversations with a a couple who had uh, left the new york um, bethel come back to the uk and some of the stories they told of goings on mm. in bethel well um, it just finished off my father completely. So Bethel is the headquarters of uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, and the, the New York one was yeah. the big one, wasn't it? That's the, uh, the it was yes, yeah. yeah. Mm. So, um, what was that like in terms of for you having, you know, some your mother being really into it, and then your father, I guess, fading? What was that like um, for yourself? It did create some difficulties. Um, when I was coming up to leaving school, um, I was expecting to have difficulties with my father um, because I wanted to leave at the earliest opportunity after doing O-levels. And I was pretty sure that my dad would quite reasonably insist that I ought to stay and mm. do A-levels. Mm. Um, but... Um, no, I don't quite know why he um, he allowed me to um, to leave school. Um, I I got a, a a job, quite a good job actually, as a laboratory uh, assistant. Um, I, it it would have been a, a great opening to get into um, sciences, engineering, by the um, the trade route, as it were. Mm. But I, my idea was I would spend just one year doing that. Then I'd be 18, didn't need my father's consent, be a pioneer. Yeah. And that's what I did. Mm. And um, he was not happy with me pioneering. He allowed it. He, uh, he didn't make any difficulties, but he was not happy with it. Mm. And... Um, I think really he was delighted when um, I left. When I, I left the mine, it all fell apart for me. So it, it, it kind of fell apart for you because of doubts um, from yeah. your book. Do you want to tell us a little bit about those doubts? What what was uh, what was behind that? Yes, I. Um, although I, I'd been keen to leave school at the earliest opportunity, I. Um, I was very keen on learning. Um, as I say, in Clive Bank, I love, I was very much into psychology mm. that, and logic, a bit of philosophy. Um, 
But a guy I met, I mentioned in, in the book, um, splendid chap he was. He was the minister of the um, of, uh, of the local parish church, and um, a remark he made when I <laughs> naive twenty. 19 year old special pioneer presumed to explain to him carefully how to translate John 1 verse 1 uh. and he just said to me you know if you're going to do this job properly you ought to learn New Testament Greek <laughs> and that oh that registered with me wow. I actually bought uh, teach yourself New Testament Greek then <laughs> Didn't get very far with it, but it had set the uh, mm. the wheels in motion, mm. and um, and and then before we'd gone to Clydebank, person on the door said, uh, recognising who I was, said, "Oh, I've got something you can have." She went in, and she came back with a pile of books. Studies in the Scriptures, oh, right. Russell, mm. quite a lot of Rutherford's books mm. and booklets, and there you can have those. <laughs> and I, very grateful, but just put them on my bookshelf and forgot about them. Then when I returned from pioneering, went home, I began to dip into those, and, well... <laughs> The scales <laughs> fell from my eyes, as, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. as might have been said by, uh, what was his name, Paul, Paul. that guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was mainly that you started to realise that um, the the doctrines, the, the very definite ideas that, that Jehovah's Witness had, just Jehovah's Witnesses had, just didn't really gel with your logical thinking it just didn't sort of make sense to you anymore is that is that right that's right it didn't make any sense but um, um along with discovering the um the, the details of the early teachings of the movement mm. you also realize the extent to which they had covered up their history mm. and nobody was aware of it i remember um, uh, at a committee, judicial committee meeting when they were trying to work out what to do with me I, I, I mentioned some of these old teachings and um, a guy who'd been in it for donkey's years and this was the um, mid-60s he'd been in, in it for years he said, we never taught that and uh, his colleague said to him, um, oh, brother, actually, we did. <laughs> well, well, yeah. well. Mm. <laughs> mm. But, it, uh, yes, it, it, was, it was those two things. The uh, early doctrines exposed it for a trial and error sort of process. Mm. And then the cover-up. Right. Just, yeah. well these people are not to be trusted so um in in your book you you talk about um well uh, all through the book is this really interesting metaphor of the transit zone um yes. so do you want to just tell us a little bit about this um this metaphor that you use 
uh, and why you use it in the in the book, please, Robert. Yeah, um, it's it, it, it came to me on, on reflection about uh, on my journey from the Watchtower movement. When you come out of it, you, you come away. You still have those habits of thinking. You still have. Um, all sorts of baggage that you carry with you and it's important to work through it before you're fully free of the way that um, the watchtower has sort of pointed you mm. in, in life uh, and the um, and it did occur to me when writing this that it's very much like taking a long journey when you visit a, a, a new country. Um, I was thinking of the first time that uh, Maggie and I went to Spain. Um, you get to the, the airport in this country. You're still in this country, but it's airport land. <laughs> and after a flight to three hours, you land in another country. But it's nothing like the new country you've arrived in. It's just like the airport land in your old country. Yeah. And this transit zone is, um, well, it's the same sort of thing when you leave the Watchtower movement. Mm. You've got to get beyond that further point mm. and, um, and live life outside in the real culture. But, yeah, um, and it feels to me like um, so. Correct me if I'm wrong, Robert, but it feels to me like in your in the book you're you're trying to help the reader um, make that journey out of that transit zone. Yes. Um, when you're writing it, who did you have in mind? Was it did you have um, current witnesses in mind, or did you have people that were kind of still in that transit zone, or I guess both, or? Um mainly people still within the transit zone. Okay, yeah. Uh, um, it had become apparent to me that um, there, there has grown up a very large and dispersed um, online community, you might say, of ex-witnesses, um, many of whom are floundering not knowing where to go, what to think, how to live. And it's those that I have in mind uh, um, in this. Um, how do we get fully free of the baggage that the Watchtower movement has given to us? Mm. Um, I mean, I, I recall when I um, left the witnesses, when I, I walked out, um, th th that it was a Thursday evening suddenly f things fell into place for me just in a, in a moment's insight I, I realised I don't believe this any longer mm. and I knew when I left the meeting that evening that I wasn't going back yeah. and you get a tremendous sense of freedom yeah you can get a tremendous sense of pride of being a rebel. <laughs> but then 
it doesn't last. And um, you've got to build something new. Hi, everyone. I just wanted to jump in really quick. If you are enjoying the podcast, um, please make sure you rate and review on iTunes, subscribe and follow us on Spotify, or even if you just tell a friend in person who you think would like it too. It's very interesting. It's one of the questions that I ask um, everybody that I interview. uh, Was there a moment? Um, You've answered that question. And I know there was for me. You're right. It felt like the sky was a bit bluer. Um, The the sun was a bit warmer. The leaves were a bit greener. It just felt like I had this great weight lifted off my shoulders. But absolutely, that kind of lasts for a very short time because you then have to work out all of this stuff and that's part of the reason for this podcast you know what should i think about this issue and that issue and so on and and yeah i think um obviously i've not been out as long as you but i've been out over 20 years and i do think that gives you a little bit of perspective looking back to allow yourself to think yeah that, that actually i i it took a lot of growing it took a lot of work actually to to really fully get out for you what are the um what are the key elements then for you to look for to work on to make it out of that transit zone can you give us some of your thoughts on on how to do that yeah i think a lot depends upon the reason why people have left um for many who are leaving It's not a matter of uh, disagreeing with doctrine. It's um, what I I call a lifestyle issue. People have suffered abuse um, directly because of the witness Mm. ethos. Mm. Um, People have been suppressed. Um, Women are are not allowed to develop their natural gifts. They have to be submissive and cannot take the lead even though they may have the talents for leadership um they they cannot develop their natural abilities Mm. they've got to be submissive or um and it's the same for so many um your natural gifts mustn't use them no push them to one side and um the harsh discipline um moves over to actual abuse Mm. um the the the, this saying spare the rod spoil the child um taken so horribly literally Mm. you've got to beat kids into submission um and i've heard some awful stories of physical discipline discipline like that Mm. And it's widespread. And when people leave because of those sorts of reasons, they can find that um, in the back of the head, they have the idea that, yes, but they're right about doctrine. Mm. And that's that's the worst, I think, the worst situation to be in. Those who feel, um, I cannot be a witness because I just can't live the life. There's no point in going back because I'm never going to be good enough. Yeah. 
but as soon as there's a global pandemic, is this it? Yes. Is Armageddon coming? Yeah, yeah. The, the, there's um, terrible fighting in the Middle East. Is Armageddon? Yeah, yeah. Do I go back? Mm. And for those people, one um, part, one factor of their liberation can be to, you know, look at those doctrines and recognize them for what they were. Mm. Um, nonsensical trial and error attempts mm. to impose an end time calendar on scripture. Yeah. To be liberated from that is a big step forward in in that um, in that movement because what happens is that it releases people from the feeling that they need to be somewhere where if Armageddon does look like it's coming next Thursday, <laughs> they can hot foot it back yes. to the kingdom hall yeah. and somehow repent yeah. in time to be spared. Mm. Uh, um, There's that acronym that is used in the um, X community, POMI, physically out, uh, mentally in, I think they call it. Yes, yeah. That I think is the worst position to right, be in. Okay. So, so if you're in that situation, then to get out of the transit zone, your your thinking is to um, dig into these doctrinal matters that are bothering you. Um, to sort of once and for all put your mind at rest that that these things are just nonsense, really. Yeah. Yes. I think that's part of it. It's only part yep. of it. Um, there is dealing with the, um, the, the the psychological baggage that you get yep. from having uh, been abused or suppressed um, when you have been brought up to believe that, um, no, you must not um, be selfish. Um, you must, uh, well, you don't express yourself. Mm. You've got to live how other people want you to live. That That is a very, very difficult one to get over. And for that sort of uh, aspect of it, I think many will find that um, it, it's helpful to, um, uh, to work with a therapist. Yeah. But needs to be someone who's experienced with dealing with the uh, w w with the traumas that um, that you get from having grown up in a very coercive movement like the witnesses mm. and med many others in the as well yeah so you talk about remote control so I guess that's what you're talking about there the way that um, yeah um, how is it remote would you like to just explain? in what way it's remote, because I think that's quite an interesting thought. Yes, it's, um, it, it's because the, um, the prompts for the behaviour are not um, <laughs> sort of from one person, the person beside you, mm. you but they're, they're there. They're internalised. They're internalised so that um, when you're a long way from... Yeah. 
the Watchtower movement. Nevertheless, the things they're saying, used to say in Kingdom Hall, right in the magazines, they're still there. Yeah. It's still there it's in the head. Voice. Mm. And um, the, the, uh, the, what's going on now between Palestine and Israel, for example, yeah. it triggers that. Yeah. It, it, um, well, it, it sets in train yeah. the thinking that um, the, the witnesses uh, have had. For yeah, it's interesting. It, it, it very much mirrors um, something that Ali was talking about, um, uh, our previous guest on the podcast, mm. Ali Miller. She's written a book which comes out next year about her experience, and she describes that absolutely like you've described it. She was talking about when the Euro Ukrainian um, aircraft was shot down and yeah. around the time of the the financial crash and everything, you know, she was yeah. incredibly um, triggered by all of that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, there's another type of uh, reason for leaving that you talk about in the book, which is, is more about that doctrinal um, yeah. stuff. And I think you particularly look at male witnesses there and, and how they might um, respond to that and what opportunities they might find when they leave. Um, can you talk us a little bit about those other people, the ones that maybe actually quite liked being a witness, um, yeah. perhaps were in a leadership role within the witnesses, but found that they couldn't um, reconcile the beliefs anymore? What, what for you, what's happening there? Um, yes, what, what seems to happen very often it, um, is that um, so, someone may get to the the sort of position that I was in. Um, I was fortunate to be in that position yeah. at a very young age. Um, but um, life for me as a witness had been good. I enjoyed yeah. it. I loved being um, ministry school overseer. Great. Mm. Oh, yeah. I loved public speaking. Yeah. I love being a group study leader. Yeah, taking mm. leadership. And as soon as you um, come out of it all, that's gone. Um, and you can miss it terribly. Yeah. And the big problem is that the greater the, um, the um, dispersed ex-witness community, the greater the scope for... Uh, people going straight into some sort of informal leadership position. Um, I was the elder. I was the overseer. I'm the speaker. I, I'm the leader. And the trouble is that they can um, carry on using the same sorts of techniques of leadership um, outside the witnesses within the ex-witness um, community as they used before and those leadership techniques can too often degenerate into something akin to bullying or into actual outright bullying mm -hmm. there's no scope for what we might call the dialogue 
of leadership where a team leader will, you know, work with a team and come on folks, um, let's have some feedback. Let's work out between ourselves what's the best strategy here. Mm. That cannot go on within the Watchtower no. movement. No, you don't lead in that no. sort of way. Um, <laughs> it's a very top-down organisation, isn't it? Very much yeah. so, yeah. Mm. And I think it's important for, for people who want to exercise any sort of leadership within the ex-witness community to get experience of working beyond that community as well. Um, to, it's um, coming back to the transit zone idea. Yeah. Um, if you want to be a travel guide, it's no good simply to um, be thoroughly familiar with the point of departure and the two airports. <laughs> you need to know that community beyond that second airport. That's interesting. Um, mm. if, I, if I want to um, learn about... Well, I think of Spain. Well, mm. um, uh, um, I've got to learn it from the Spanish people, mm. Spanish cultures, Spanish cities, towns, Spanish villages, not from folk who work in the airports or folk who sell the tickets to get on the plane. They might not have a clue. They couldn't tell me all about some... Redditch, <laughs> oh, <laughs> tell me all about that, yes. But you've got to, yeah. if you're going to help someone to come into the community beyond, you've got to be as familiar with that community beyond as you were with the prison you have left. Mm. That's very interesting. That's a very interesting uh, insight. Um I'd like to, to ask you a few questions about your way of, of thinking about the Bible and, and religion, All right. um, if I can, so sort of changing subjects yeah. a little bit. Um, you, uh, you, you talk about, um, well, there's a, there's a chapter in, in the book called, um, uh, which one is it? I think it's chapter six, The Bible and Religion After Watchtower. Right. And um, you you actually refer to Second Timothy Second Timothy three sixteen, which yes. yeah, absolutely right. All Jehovah's Witnesses can um, can spout <laughs> that off um, without looking at it. But it's um, it's that all scriptures are inspired of God yeah. and beneficial for teaching. Um, and uh, and yeah, you sort of take that up and and start to. I suppose uh, try to provide an alternative reading of that. Do you mm. want to talk to us a little bit about that and why you think that's significant in um, maybe how to think differently about religion? Yeah, yeah. I think in 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 that um, that 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 passage, there are two different expressions used. I think it's important to notice that there's um, there's Hierogrammata, holy writing, which clearly refers to um, 
what we now think of as Old Testament, the um, Hebrew scriptures. But then it refers to parzagraphe, or writing. And um, if that second expression, parzagraphe, has got to be identical with um, the first one, then you've got all sorts of strange questions because the person writing it is writing about stuff that has not been written yet. It's not defined as the holy writings are defined. That's there. That's set. Um, so it looks like what he's saying is that, um, um, yeah, holy writ has brought you to faith. But all writing is worth looking at. All writing comes about by the exercise of a God-given talent, if you want to put it that way. So look at the whole lot. And then when you think about it, there was a lot of um, writing done um, that never um, was incorporated into the canon of the New Testament. So, so just to um, help our listeners a little bit, because we're getting quite technical, um, which is good, by the way, but um, just to help our listeners sure. to understand what we're talking about here. The scripture you've quoted from the New World Translation, which is Jehovah's Witnesses Bible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it says, from infancy, you have known the holy writings, which are yes. able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Yeah. All scripture is inspired of God and beneficial for teaching, for reproving, for setting things straight, for disciplining in righteousness. So what you're saying here is that that first part of the verse um, yeah. where who's he talking to um, at this point? Is, it, um, is he speaking to Timothy? Well, that, that's how it's set as up. Far as, yes. we, as far as we're supposed um, to think. It's yeah. it almost certainly not Paul himself. Yeah, that's right. Who regards himself as in the Pauline school. Mm. Okay, so he, he's saying from infancy you've known the holy writings, and you're saying that that word there for holy writings is different to the one that then says all scripture is inspired of yes. God. So you're saying those yes. are two different words and that when the writer is, is saying that, they're basically saying all these ancient scriptures, which include all sorts of um, what would be considered at the time holy scripture, which did yeah. not necessarily get into the Bible canon, but they would have all been considered holy scriptures. The writer is saying all these things you've known from infancy and are going to help you make you wise. And then the next bit is the bit that says all scripture is inspired of God and beneficial. Um, it's the, 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 the first one yeah. um, seems to refer to the set canon oh, okay. of the Hebrew scriptures. Right, yeah. Okay. Um, Holy Writ. Okay. Um, it's Yerug um, Gramata. Okay. Holy Writ. The second one is the much more inclusive term, all writing. And given that no canon of the New Testament 
was defined until long after mm. that was written. Well, there it's, it, it's open-ended. You say, all writings right. inspired by God, which strongly suggests that the idea of being inspired by God is not <laughs> that God makes the person right yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly what he needs to have like a secretary as we were taught to believe yeah 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 it's um, yeah i'd much rather put it as um, it comes about by the exercise of a natural talent okay god-given talent if you like okay. but Good. So, so take us beyond that then. So this is, this is, your, this is an example of, of this way of thinking about the Bible, mm. about scriptures. Um, how does that then affect the way that you interpret or that you make sense out of the Bible and um, other, other ways of thinking about spirituality, I suppose? Yeah. Um, yeah. We, so we open it up, we recognise that um, there's a lot of writing there being produced by the emerging Christian community. Only a small um, proportion of it became um, within the canon of scripture. There's a wider one. Now, taking the historian's um, viewpoint, if we ask, what did those first Christians believe? What were the stories they told? Then, to answer that question, we've, we've got to go to the whole of what they wrote. These are the stories. Now, question is, let's, let's take these non-canonical um, documents. How do we handle those? I think clearly any believer um, is going to say, well, we don't treat them as Holy Scripture. We treat them in the same way that we might uh, treat um, the writings of Aeschylus or Plato or Aristotle. Mm -hmm. We read them, weigh them up and see what they say and do we believe it? Is it making sense? Does it help us to um, think through anything? great way of reading stuff now let's read the bible in the same sort of way mm. yeah so and and you're 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 looking at the the bible then more like a um i suppose more like a psychologist or a social psychologist really by trying yeah. to get into the world of the writer you're saying what would it what would it have been like for that writer when they were writing that that verse what what yeah. what actually was the world in which they lived what stories yes. were they listening to what how yeah. were they making sense of yeah. the world in which they lived and that if you do that with the bible that gives you a much more rounded out a much richer understanding of Absolutely. the lives of these people yes yes and I think once you start looking at it this way, something that um, soon becomes clear is that these people were doing just the same sorts of things that people always do. 
wherever people are, they tell stories. And the important thing, especially with the very ancient stories, is that that tradition, um, it's, it's more fundamental than tradition, this is just part of human nature. Yeah. But the writing stories is something that starts going on long, long before anyone start um, telling, telling stories. stories yeah. Telling yeah. stories yeah. goes on long before anyone begins to write them down. Yeah. So that when you've got the most ancient written story you can find, you've got something that is quite late in the process of the development of that story. Mm. And you can, you can interrogate the text to ask, well, why did anyone write that? What, what sort of experiences would they have had? Mm. And they can be writing it for all sorts of reasons to inform someone, to mislead someone, to uh, impress someone, to tell a joke, mm. um, and so on. And you get, um, if you read a story in the Bible that's just plain impossible, um, it, the, the, the tendency is to say, well, it's nonsense nothing like that ever happened but that's a bit like um taking dave boggin's story of the massive pike that he caught in lake such and such and saying hang on there are no pike in that lake therefore dave boggins never went fishing of course he did he caught a tiddler, and by the time he told the story several times, it was bigger mm. and bigger and bigger. But it also, you, you also talk about um, liking in it, likening it to um, like modern movies, I suppose, and, and and tales like Star Wars and things like that. So yeah, of course these things didn't happen, but just to dismiss them as not important um, misses the point, really, doesn't it? It does tell you something about the society that that told those stories. Um, yes. and the, the sort of morality tales that are within them. Um, yeah. So, yeah. That's what, what gave them this idea. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that we didn't talk about um, was your journey into uh, becoming a Methodist um, minister. But yeah. obviously that fascinated me when I first heard that. Um, the way you're talking here, I guess, doesn't sound particularly religious. Um so um, when we were having a little chat before we started recording, mm. I said, everybody must disagree with you because, um, <laughs> you know, if you're very religious, you, you perhaps think, well, no, you know, it is inspired of God. It is God's words. And then um, the atheist might um, want you to be poo-pooing the Bible and belief and so on. So mm. um, how do you find yourself in this, um, this position where you're kind of upsetting everybody or not pleasing anyone? Um, it it can it can be tricky. You 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 have to develop the way of um, uh, uh, of telling the stories so that people uh, w will think about them. Um, one um, one thing I, I I found 
now and again when preaching i would um i've told the stories um i would invite people to imagine they were there at the time when things were going on um there at the time when people are responding to this man jesus and um, i'd say something like we know what his closest um, friends thought we know what they believed about him but imagine you're someone on the fringe of this crowd what do you make of it and people would start to think and and they uh, they begin to see all sorts of other possibilities in uh, in interpreting this and uh, now and again i i would um, I, I i would talk about um, jesus as a storyteller listen to his stories and uh, see what you think of them and i remember um after the sunday afternoon service was over one of the the members came to me um, um she particularly enjoyed this way of looking at the the, the way jesus teaches and she said of course you're a bit of a storyteller yourself aren't you <laughs> um so, well yes i never preach a sermon i just tell the stories and, uh, well <laughs> And have you been able to, obviously you've, you've maintained that career all these years and you've retired now, I believe. Yeah. Um, yes. It sounds like you've enjoyed that, that life as a, as a Methodist minister yes. and, and your part in that, in the community. And yes. um, I guess your congregations enjoyed it too. So obviously you've been able to, to tell that story, to, yes. to make that, yes. that work. Yeah. One of the things we're getting close to uh, to an hour, so we, I don't want to keep you too long. But um, one of the things that I, I I thought was interesting in relation to this is that you caution against um, being framed or or thinking in a way that is framed by Jehovah's Witness thinking. So even as an atheist, I, I'm an atheist. But as an atheist, it's, I guess, easy for me to um, to allow myself to think of belief in a very black and white way. So, yeah. you know, all stuff in the Bible is nonsense because it's not true. It didn't happen or it didn't happen like that or so on. Therefore, it's throwing the baby out with the bathwater, I think, is what yeah. you're trying to to mm. warn us against. And your your feeling is if we do that, we are essentially taking the frame work or the frame the framing that Jehovah's Witnesses have given us, um, and that stops us from exploring it in the way that you've described there. Yeah. And um, so part of being outside that transit zone is to get away from that um, that position that we've taken essentially on the other side of, of the fence mm. from Jehovah's Witnesses, you're yeah. saying don't allow yourself to see it in that way. Take, take that framing away and then just look at it afresh. So you're outside of yeah. that, that way of thinking. Have I summarized yes. that? Um, yeah, yes, yes. That's, that's, that's um, a, a fair way of, uh, uh, of describing it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
with with the the witnesses' way of thinking, and indeed with um, so much of fundamentalist yeah. um, um, thinking about the Bible, um, you, you you've got the the basic set of binaries: true, false, mm. true, false, right, wrong. Um, I think. Um, so often we're conditioned into thinking in those terms. It has to be one or the other. It has to be true, right, or false, wrong. Um, it may be something different. It may be good or bad or helpful or unhelpful. Um, so, but the, 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 the crazy thing is when we when we insist on using the true or false, the good or bad um, binaries, then it gets us to the point where we're confronted with something which um, we're not allowed to reject. So it has to come under that crazy heading, difficult to understand. So you'll get something like the, the concluding verses of Psalm 137, where uh, rather haunting uh, poem, popularised wonderfully by Bomiem, by the rivers of Babylon. And it ends up with saying, uh, blessed is the one who dashes your babies against the rock. <laughs> and, ooh, difficult to understand <laughs> no it's not difficult at all to understand it's easy it's just plain wrong mm -hmm. that's how people uh yeah. began to think yeah um we're the chosen of god therefore whatever happens to those horrible people well it served them right mm -hmm. for being the horrible people they are um Oh, let's let's take the thing, let's take the stories and ask ourselves the questions. Well, how would we believe? Not um, here is something which tells us what's right. Work it out. But right, here's an example of people behaving. What do we make of it? How will we behave? And any story can be used in that sort of way. Um, any story at all, yeah. we, we, we don't um, Yeah, it doesn't have to be the Christian tradition, does it? it um, no, there's lots and no. lots of those ancient stories which give us a real insight into um, into the people of the time. So, yeah, I think that's, that's a really interesting way of looking at it, um, Rob. And I must admit, something I hadn't really thought of very much before, um, so that's given me... Um, a, a bit of an interesting way of thinking about these writings that I must admit mm -hmm. um, have has challenged my thinking. Um, Celine, have you got any um, any questions that you'd like to just finish off with with Rob or before we let him go? Um, yeah, I, well, less of a question, more of like a. It, it's interesting when I was talking about this with my housemate before we started. She was saying um, it's something we've discussed before, in that she doesn't feel she would particularly say she's religious but she feels more um 
open or like the way you've been speaking she can get behind that more and 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 um mm-hmm. yeah she was like it's not that she necessarily wants to be part of sort of organized um religion mm-hmm. but sort of having space i guess and um allowing space yeah. which i think is often quite difficult at the moment in the world we are in like allowing space yeah. um we all want to be right and have the answers but yeah um a nice reminder on this podcast i guess just to allow space and um um be interested in like the way you were being you know excited about all this stuff to learn there's stuff to learn all over including um you know the way you've been really interesting me picking apart um bible stories that is really interesting so thank you so you're quite prolific you've written quite a lot um we'll we'll put on the show notes um where to access your website and right. um some of your uh, some of your books so if people want to learn more about your work then they can access yes. that there um and anything else you want us to pop on there we of course we will um so yeah i, I suppose that all, all it all it needs really to say is uh, thank you very much rob for being with us today it's been fascinating um and good luck with uh, with the next book that you write i'm sure you've got more in in the pipeline yes i i'm uh, I, i'm well on the way with uh, with a, another novel now but uh, thank you for having me it's been uh, it's been good talking with you both thank you very much thank you thank rob you. what should i think about is an evil sheep production 